The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Welcome, welcome this morning. Thank you so much for having me. I'm going to start with a question that I'm guessing no chapel speaker has asked you before. Are you ready? That's not the question. Although, are some of you just sick of hearing that, especially those of you who are juniors and seniors? Are you ready? Are you ready for life after college? What's next? What are you doing after college? I, when I was sitting in your shoes senior year, I just wanted to wear one of those large buttons that said, I have no idea what I'm doing after graduation. Please stop asking me. All right, here's the real question. Four people were shot in front of a castle. What happened? Four people were shot in front of a castle. What happened? You can turn to somebody next to you. What do you think happened? All right, are you ready? Four people were shot in front of a castle. Oh. <laughs> This is my family. We enjoyed the Magic Kingdom for a day in Florida. All right, how many people, when I said the word shot, you thought about taking a picture? All right, nice job. There's a handful of you in here, and I bet if I gave you more time, more of you would have thought of that. If you raised your hand, you might be one of those people who have something called uh, paradigm agility. It's what we refer to um, in my workplace People who can see situations from different lenses, different frames. Uh, I work for a leadership development company called Bartell and Bartell, and one area that we focus on in developing individuals' leadership is with paradigm agility. If you don't like the word paradigm, just swap that out with lens. What do I mean by this? What do I mean by paradigm agility? Let me give you an example. When my daughter, Hannah, was in first grade, she started at a brand new school. And she was probably there for about three days, and she came home and said, Mom, there's a problem child in my class. There's a troublemaker. And I said, okay, first of all, we're not going to use that word to describe another human. And second of all, let's pray. Let's pray for this child. And then I started to ask her, like, you know, do you think there's something maybe going on in this child's life that's making this child act the way that he's acting? And so um, she thought about that for a little bit. I didn't use the word paradigm or lens, but I was trying to get her to see the situation in a different way. Several weeks later, she came home and said, Mom, I think I know why so-and-so acts the way he does. His sister died. Whoa. If a seven-year-old can shift her view, certainly we can too. Why does all of this matter? Because our paradigms and our perspectives shape our actions and our attitudes, including how we prepare for life after college and how we make sense of what happens after we graduate. So we're going to look at a prophet, Habakkuk, who has a very significant paradigm shift. But before we do that, I'd like to share a little bit about my own perspective before graduation and a little bit after as well. When I think about my senior year self, how many people in here are prayerfully graduating this year? 
all right, all right, there's my people. Um, all of you can relate to this because we're going to talk about transitions, and life is full of transitions. But I would say when I was sitting in similar shoes to those who are about to graduate, I had no real post-graduation plan. Uh, I, I think I envisioned maybe moving to New York City, living among other creative individuals. I'm really not sure how I planned to finance this bohemian dream I had for myself since by the end of senior year, I had applied to a grand total of zero jobs. I was operating on maybe a two-week plan, maybe a two-day plan. I certainly did not have a post-graduation plan. And I had one of those majors, English, that didn't really sound like a career, so I felt confused about the planning process. I didn't know how to reach, reach out to the resources around me. And other concerns just flooded in as I focused on finishing college with my friends. The positive aspect of my approach was that I did get to enjoy being fully present in my senior year. But it ultimately cost me. I ended up having to move back home, something that I didn't want to do at the time. And as my friends found apartments and scattered to different cities, I floundered. Research shows that those who approach the transition, or any of life's transitions, are, rather than avoid it, are more likely to thrive within it. Now, I don't need a show of hands, but how many of you struggle to approach transitions? Or maybe you're struggling to approach the transition into life after college. Eh, I'll think about that at another time. And I also don't need a show of hands on this, but how many of you struggle to stay present? Maybe instead of avoiding life's transitions, you kind of rush through. Got to check the boxes, got to move on, bare minimum to make it to graduation. Maybe senioritis has kind of crept in and you're sort of mentally checking out. Whether we're tempted to avoid transitions or rush them, there's always a third way. Milk them for all they're worth. Milk it for all it's worth. This perspective allows us to prepare for what's ahead while being fully present. With this perspective, we can also find deep purpose right here and right now. Uh, I remember being with a, a student who was about, it was about this time in her senior year, and I said, Michaela, how are you feeling about senior year? And she's like, you know, I have one-fourth of my college career left. I want to leverage it for all it's worth. What a great perspective. What might need to shift for you in this moment? Any ways you might need to change your frame to make the most of your college career? What are some things you want to do right now to leverage this for all it's worth? Maybe it's just a simple shift in like, wow, I have to do these classes or I have to do these things too. I get to. This is such a privilege to be in college and to be a student right now. Maybe it's a shift on the role of the Pathway Center on campus. Instead of ripping in there April of senior year, maybe see how they can journey with you during your whole time in college. Maybe it's a shift from what's next to where's next really thinking about a theology of place and where you want to build your adult life instead of, I got to find the job, I got to find the job, and then realizing this is not a place I want to be. We'll talk more about that at lunch, so please join us for lunch. I'm here as sort of a cautionary tale. Uh, I carried some very unhelpful perspectives uh, before graduation that led to an even more challenging post-graduation stretch. Are we seeing any direct correlations here? Probably. The transition after college hit me in ways I wasn't prepared to consider. For those who are reading the after college book, you know that I struggled with loneliness as my close friends scattered across the country. I felt pretty directionless in my career, and I didn't know how to manage my very minimal income at the time. 
On a deeper level, I wrestled with questions of faith and doubt and identity. Another big blow for me that summer was having my heart broken. I guess August is the number one time of year that people break up with people. Awesome. Uh, it may sound trivial now, but at the time, it was so painful, I just wanted to throw up. Like every day for weeks. It was the most significant loss I'd experienced up to that point in my life. And I just remember crying out to God, why? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? And that's when he brought me to Habakkuk. And if you're familiar with this prophet, the book starts with Habakkuk crying out to God. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Though certainly not the same situation, like Habakkuk, I was crying out to God for what felt like a confusing and even an injustice in my life at the time. Now Habakkuk is going toe-to-toe -to -toe with God for a very different kind of injustice. He feels like he and the other Judeans at the time are being faithful to the law of Moses while others are not being faithful, but it seems like God is silent. To Habakkuk, it appears that God is sitting idly by while the wicked get away with wrongdoing. Part of his paradigm is, I see evil, it means God is not at work. Or I see evil people prospering, it means God is not in control. He's confused, Habakkuk is confused, full of doubt, and he's really honest with God about it. Friends, God wants our honest complaints. He can handle it. Habakkuk doesn't have a framework for what's happening. He needs a different lens. And, and please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not dismissing injustice or downplaying pain or even encouraging us to try on different worldviews for size. Even if we're committed to biblical theism, we may still need places of perspective shift. Habakkuk has a gap between his hopes and his reality. And he doesn't have a helpful lens for making sense of that. Not so different from my own story. I too experienced this significant gap between what I expected life after college to be life like and what, I, what actually happened. I was confused, depressed at times, full of doubt. Aren't you guys glad you brought me today? Isn't this like a really encouraging chapel talk? I am not trying to discourage anyone in any way, but I, I do wanna normalize that if at any point you feel any of these emotions after college, it is normal and you're not alone. One perspective shift that we may need for transitions or for life after college is it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay that expectations don't always match reality. Because I know from my own story and from walking with hundreds of alums that there's often a gap between what we hope and what we experience. We need to mind the gap. If you've ever been over to London and ridden the tube, you know that, that the little sign appears everywhere, right? They don't want you to fall in the crack. They want you to mind the, the gap before you get on the underground. This is especially true right after college. It's one of the most exciting and hopeful times, but it's also one of the most uncertain, unstable times. A time when we face some of our biggest challenges. And sometimes it's hard because there's things we could have done on the front end to better prepare. We could have done better leveraging the college years to prepare. But it's also challenging because we're going through a major life transition. We go from something really familiar, especially if you've been a student your whole life. For 17 straight years, you've been a student, and then everything shifts. Even if we're moving back home or staying in the area of our alma mater, we've changed. And the, the people around us have changed. Our communities have changed. 
Contrary to other transitions, so many things shift all at once. Friendships, finances, opportunities for fun. It's super exciting, but it can feel a bit like an earthquake, and we're just trying to find our footing. I remember getting an email from a former student named Devin who had so much going for him right after college. Like on paper, it all looked amazing. Mechanical engineer, accepted a great job offer, moved to a top location for 20-somethings, and yet six months after graduation, the transition hit him hard. This is what he writes to me. It's just been the biggest beast I've had to go up against. I'm writing with tears flowing, emotions overwhelming me. I'm blessed beyond belief with caring parents, incredible girlfriend, best friends, church community, small group. Even with this great support, my first job and everything that comes with it has been more than overwhelming at times. It's like nothing I've been through. Again, I don't share Devin's story to scare you, but to normalize if at any point you have similar emotions to Devin, you're not alone. For him, the most significant hit was the workplace. He was just not prepared for a boss who was impossible to please and coworkers who just wanted to get ahead. And as his values bumped up against theirs, it was challenging, a gap between what he expected and what he experienced. Now, if you experienced similar hardship to Devin, it doesn't necessarily mean you did something wrong. Difficult doesn't mean mistake. Often I hear alumni question, did I make a mistake in moving here, in taking this job, in starting this grad program? Did I really make the right decision? First, these questions are normal. Just because something initially feels disorienting doesn't necessarily mean we need to go somewhere else or that we didn't hear from God. In fact, we might be right where we're supposed to be because he's doing something in us. It's also true that most decisions are not irreversible. If you discern, like Devin did, that you're continuing to struggle beyond an initial adjustment period, it's totally okay to say, I need to leave. His workplace was toxic. He needed to make a decision. He stuck it out for about a year, and then he took a different job and recently got married. He and his wife just started a side business. They're doing really well. As he reflects on that rough stretch after college, though, he says, I, I wouldn't want to repeat that, but I also wouldn't trade it. God does some of the best work in us during life's transitions. And I want to encourage you, as you go through this, milk it for all it's worth. Here's another shift we can try on. It's okay to not have it all figured out. You know, I don't need a show of hands, but how many of you feel so much pressure to just make that right decision for what's next? As if, you know, it's A or B, and if I don't pick the right one, I'm going to be cast into some parallel universe. We, have so, we feel so much pressure to make that right choice as if there's a perfect decision for what to do next. It's okay to not have it all figured out, and it's okay that one thing doesn't lead right to the next. We can embrace the in-between. Now, I realize this is easier said than done. We live in a culture where there's not much room for slowing down and being in the in-between. We're progress-driven, and we feel that pressure. Got to get on to the next thing. And we, we're used to instant gratification. I, know, I need to know what I'm doing next. I need a solution to my problem, preferably shipped in two days. But as author Katie Schnack reminds us, God is not Amazon Prime, right? Living in this cultural moment makes it especially hard for us to, to be in these in-betweens, to slow down, to grieve, to wait, to reflect. 
though a different cultural moment, I think back to Habakkuk, who's struggling to embrace the in-between. He has a vision for how he wants God to move in his life, but his circumstances don't match that reality. And he pleads with God because he has two questions. One, why this injustice? Which is really a question about God's character and control. Habakkuk is basically putting God on trial for what seems like God's silence and inaction towards a critical situation. Then, when, when God answers Habakkuk and shares the plan with him of how he's going to right the wrongdoing, Habakkuk flips out even more. God's plan to deal with the wrongdoing is to raise up an even more corrupt and evil people, the Babylonians, by which he's going to punish the wicked that Habakkuk refers to. When Habakkuk hears that, he's even more confused and concerned. He doesn't want the plan, and he doesn't want God to go about it in that way and wait for him to go about it in that way. So he goes up to the ramparts. He's at the top of this, the castle, this wall-like ridge, and he waits for God's answer. And here's what God says. This is Chapter 2 is God's answer to Habakkuk. And at one point, God says, write this. Write what you see. Write it out in big block letters. The vision message is a witness pointing to what's coming. It aches for the coming. It can hardly wait, and it doesn't lie. If it seems slow in coming, wait. It's on its way. It will come right on time. How many of you need some encouragement today that God has a plan even though you need to wait? Though we may not understand it, God has a purpose for us in these waiting times. When I think about students who have had a smoother transition out of college, it's those who have willingly embraced the in-between. I think about a student, Jackie. She was an occupational therapy major, and after four years of studying this thing, she said, this is not what I want to do with my life. Maybe some of you in this room can relate to that. Well, instead of freaking out, Jackie took a deep breath, moved back home. Her family's in the Pittsburgh area. She did some informational interviewing, some job shadowing. Long story short, God blew the doors open for this opportunity in Denver, Colorado. And she moved out there, got into this rotational nursing position that she wasn't qualified for, but God just made a way for this to happen. She got exposed to many different aspects of the medical field and concluded, I want to be a physician assistant. And so she applied to Drexel, got in. She is now a PA. And when I asked Jackie, you know, what helped in the transition? She said, it's a confusing time, but the biggest thing that kept me calm was realizing I don't have to be rushed as I figure things out. Friends, you're going to feel so much pressure to have it all figured out. And we, we can feel like if we're not on the fast track to the next thing, we're missing out or letting people down, especially ourselves. But I want to encourage us, let go of the linear view of life and embrace the, detour, embrace the detours. Can you see the shift there? Letting go of this linear view. No one's life is upward and to the right. It's a mess of dots that God graciously connects. Now, one little caveat. I'm not saying wander through your 20s, right? The 20s matter. We say the 20s are for training. Uh, there's some things trending right now, you know, take a grow year and maybe someone can go fund me to do it. That's not exactly what I'm encouraging. I just don't want us to feel like if we're not on the fast track to the next thing that we've done something wrong because there's a real danger in that, especially if we don't allow ourselves to be in transition or if we write off certain stretches. God doesn't waste any stretch. We have a purpose in the waiting. God wants us to make room for these times. Um, the summer right after college was a really fallow time for me, as are the middle parts of most transitions. People who write about transitions often talk about them in terms of a cycle. 
There's an ending, an in-between, and a new beginning. Think of it like seasons, right? Right now we're in the beautiful fall season. The leaves will drop, uh, the trees will drop their leaves, and, and it's going to give way to the cold, fallow winter, and then spring will come. The new beginning will burst forth. Culturally, I think we're not very good at ending times or the in-between times. But if we can master this now, if you can master going through a transition now, you're going to be that much more prepared when other life's transitions hit you. We don't, no one gets to escape these. Transitions can take anywhere from three months to three years, says author Terry, Terry Walling. And in these in-between times, I do think the book of Habakkuk is a reminder to just simply be patient in the waiting. If it seems slow in coming, wait. It's on its way. It will come right on time. Yes, that new beginning will come. But we don't get to escape those fallow times. And I'm going to share, um, kind of close with a story from one of the most empty times in my life. A time when I was waiting for spring, waiting for that promise of spring, for newness to arrive. And then I'm going to share four words that I wish someone would have shared with me before I hit the bottom. Words that can be part of a paradigm shift for all of us. So here's the day I hit my lowest low. Right after college, I took a job with a social service agency, and what, which, which meant I had these very erratic hours. And most of my days lacked a regular rhythm. So I often struggled to rise with my alarm clock. And on this particular day, after hitting the snooze button for probably way too many times, I finally staggered into the living room to find a clump of clean laundry, my own, on the futon. I forgot to remove it from the dryer before my housemate, Kimi, needed to use it. I know the laundry situation here. You know what I'm talking about. But I just, I felt like a bad roommate, a bad housemate. And I could hear the click, click, click of the buttons of her blue jeans swirling in the dryer at this point, and it just reminded me of all the thoughts just swirling, swirling inside my head. To ground myself, I took this walk to the mailbox. It was probably about five minutes. We lived on the municipal lane, and we would head to this mailbox to get our, our mail. And I know I would check that mailbox as kind of just a, a pattern to feel a little less lonely. In the same way you might check your, you know, your text, your social media feed. This is pre-cell phone. So um, just that I, I was looking for that small little dopamine dose to just make me feel a little less lonely. Now that day, two pieces of mail arrived and with my name on it. One came in this really thick cardboard envelope. It was an 8 by 10 photograph from Olin Mills, a com complimentary self-portrait for posing for this church directory. Um, they, they mailed me this 8 by 10 of myself. Now, no 20-some-year-old no should receive an 8 by 10 photograph of themselves. Like, that's, that's for first graders. This was just weird. I stared at this photo for way too many minutes. I was looking at my, myself, and I'm like, this is an awful picture. My skin looked sickly and yellow, like wrinkling in places I didn't know my face could fold. My teeth were like protruding from my mouth at measurable angles. My hair limpy with bad style. I just thought, I am so ugly. And I'm definitely not giving this photograph to my parents as like a birthday present or something. The other piece of mail that arrived that day with my name on it was an envelope from Citibank. And I felt a lot of anticipation as I opened this envelope because I thought it contained the credit card that I applied for. For some reason, securing this piece of plastic marked my um, entry into adulthood. And as I, I peeled open the envelope, something heartbreaking happened. I did not qualify for the card. 
And I took this rejection personally. I thought everyone received credit card approval. Don't they just hand these things out on college campuses like candy, free t-shirt, and credit card? Why, why didn't I meet the requirements? This rejection really, I, I just, I had a really hard time with it. And I remember calling the company, like, you can't make this stuff up. I called the company to find out why I didn't receive the credit card. I know why I didn't receive the credit card. I had no money. But I, I called the woman um, from, from Citibank, and, and she said, you know, our system is down right now, and I can't supply a specific reason for why you didn't get the credit card. And I just wanted to say, like, my system is down right now, darn it, thanks to you. And then I thought, you know what? I should work for them. I'm really good at denying people, mostly myself, credit. It was a low moment, all right? This was my low, rock-bottom moment. It was a microcosm of just all the little ways I felt I didn't measure up in life after college, a microcosm of other places of deep rejection, like the heartbreak. And as I looked at my life through the lens of I'm only as worthy as what others say that I am, it's no wonder I didn't know how to measure up in a system where no one was going to give me an A. I needed a perspective shift. I needed these four words. It's going to be okay. The best advice I can give you, if you want to walk confidently into life after college, is this. Dwell on God's character and power. Part of why I wanted to look at Habakkuk is because recalling God's character and power is where he eventually lands. Despite his confusion, his frustration, doubt, despite his crying out to God, aren't you God? Do something. He wraps up with this beautiful prayer that names who God is. He chooses to be in awe of God's work in his life. Verse, verse 3 of chapter 3, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. He recalls God coming to Israel at Mount Sinai, acting as a warrior, fighting for his people. He declares no matter his circumstances, God is God. Habakkuk has a paradigm shift. And this is in, in chapter 3. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice. Despite this fallow time, I will rejoice. And we might apply this to our own situation, right? There's so many things that can feel empty in our lives. Um, you know, here's a little adapted version though the relationship didn't work out. There's no likes on my post. I've disappointed someone. I didn't earn the grades I want. My bank account lacked funds. I don't know my next step. Yet I will rejoice. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Even in our lowest places, God lifts us up. He's a lifter of our heads, and he lets us tread on heights. He makes us like a deer. What do you think of when you think of a deer? What do you think of? Yeah. What do you think of? A deer. I'm sorry. You're scared. You're scared of them? Oh, they're scared. They're scared. What else do you think of when you think of a deer? Yeah. They frolic. Yeah, they frolic. They're agile, right? They can, they can move swiftly. When I was driving here yesterday on the highway, two deer just flew across the field. And it was like this beautiful picture of, wow, they, they're these amazing, agile creatures. Look up, look up the characteristics of deer. Um, 
they can move without stumbling across really rough terrain. And, and I love that, the, even this comment of the deer can be scared. Yeah, sometimes we are really fearful. But let's, let's use that. Think about this in this moment. What God can do for us in our fear, in our anxiety, in our worry. He can make our feet like the feet of the deer. We can rush across even rough terrain without stumbling. God wants to do that for each person in this room. To make you strong and firm and steadfast. Even if you're scared. Even if you hit a rough stretch. Now, I told you that God brought me to Habakkuk that first year out of college and right after my heartbreak, but it wasn't just because I could relate to a prophet who felt an injustice. It was because God wanted to give me a promise in that first chapter. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I chose to trust that God would turn my heartbreak into healing. I chose to trust him to bring beauty to what felt like ashes in my life. And many years later, actually when I was 28, I did meet my spouse. And I remember sitting in the stacks of the Penn State Campus Library and writing a letter to him with these exact words from Habakkuk. The gift of Craig in my life continues to awe me, but God blessing me with that gift wasn't the fulfillment of the promise, or at least not the whole of it. God awed me in my 20s with the rich web of relationships he gave me after college, with the great local church that he connected me to, despite their weird photo directory. Um, no, it was a great church. It was a really great church. The struggle and the blessing of being single in my 20s, and most of all, it was about learning that no matter what circumstance, I have a kingdom purpose. I'm not in some holding pattern until God acts in the way that I want or hope, or rather that, but rather that I can live my best days now and just wait for him to awe me, because he will. That's what he wants to do for us. Friends, I pray that as you approach this year, or, or you know, even the ones that follow, that you do so with paradigm agility. Agility that allows you to embrace the difficult and awkwardness of transitional times and milk them for all they're worth. Agility that allows you to be patient when and if you're feeling stuck. Detours are okay, and God doesn't waste any stretch. And last, no matter what situation you find yourself in, I pray you carry this frame. It's going to be okay. This isn't platitude or toxic positivity. This is deeply rooted in the biblical story. From Genesis to Revelation, we know how the story ends. God's got you and he's got amazing things in store. Let me pray. Gracious God, we just say thank you. We say thank you for every person who is in this space right now. You know them. You know their stories. Elroy, the God who sees, I thank you that you see every person in this room and that you have good things in store. God, I pray that you would speak specifically to those who need to hear your voice in this moment and that we would go from here knowing that even in our fear, in our anxiety, in our worry, in our confusion, in our doubt, in things that feel painful and difficult right now, you see us, you long to chase after us, to make promises to us, and provide for us. Thank you for your character, God. Come with your Holy Spirit and encourage each person in this room. And as we go from here, help us to go with a perspective that knows that our strength is in you. We praise you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.